0: Chapter, last week we looked at a a sermon that uh, Paul preached, and he preached it at their invitation. Um, The invitation, brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. This was in the synagogue. What a great invitation. Little did they know they had the one who to us is known as the Apostle Paul in their midst. And so he accepted their invitation. And he got up and he preached the gospel. He talked about their history. He talked about uh, the, the gospel throughout the scripture itself. And he warned them of the dangers of ignoring these things. And at the end, they, this is verse 42, uh, they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Will you please come back and talk to us again next Sabbath, And so they did. And here's what they found that next Sabbath, beginning with verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds... They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing. The leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. A hunger for your word. That's what the Gentiles had. That's what the believing Jews had. A hunger for your word. Will you make us hungry for that as well today? And then feed us. By your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John Wycliffe died in 1384. Maybe you've heard of uh, the mission organization, the Wycliffe Bible Translators, based upon, obviously, his name. What was his name? Significance. Now, a lot of times when we think about uh, the Protestant Reformation, we, uh, we think about Martin Luther and how in the 1500s, 1517, the Reformation began and uh, it had a profound effect upon the, the church itself and upon the world, of course, What we sometimes forget is it didn't begin in 1517 or in the 1500s. There were those that God had used before that, and John Wycliffe was one of those. He was called the morning star of the Reformation. You know, the morning star, the one that, that comes up and begins the day. His goal had to do with the Word of God. His view was that it should not just be the, the priests up front that have the Word of God or that read the Word of God or anybody that's, that's up front in a, in a church or just a select few. His view was that everyone should have the Word of God and that God would want it that way. And so he wanted to translate into the language of the day. Now, this upset some people in power in the church. That's why it was the, really the beginning of the Reformation. It upset them a great deal. He uh, certainly was out of favor with them. He was despised. Some of them were afraid of what might happen. If the common people... That's you, by the way. If the common people started reading the Bible. What kinds of problems could this cause? He died of a a stroke in 1384, but he was so despised that 44 years later, on order of the Pope in that day, they dug him up and burned his bones as a heretic. Now, don't feel that bad for John Wycliffe. If you're going to be burned up 44 years after you die is actually a better way <laughs> rather than before you die. So although that's a drastic thing, it was, it was okay for John. Today we're going to look at uh, what this says about the Word of God. And the big focus here, remember, we're talking about the church that is empowered by the Spirit, that is growing, that's spreading. And what was the key? Well, of course, it's the Spirit Himself. That's why we're calling it the empowered church. But we must never separate the Spirit and the Word. Those those go together. God ordinarily uses them to bring conversion, to bring growth. Ordinarily, it is the Spirit and the Word. We even spoke about that earlier. Now, look at verse 44. This is one of those amazing uh, phrases, I think. It says, remember, this, this was the week when they said, next week, come talk to us. And then it says, the next Sabbath, almost... The whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. I wish you'd pray for that for next week. And personally, I'd like for them to gather here, but I'm good, I'm okay with them, the whole city gathering in any church and all the churches that preach the word of God. That's what we should be praying for. But apparently here, they all went to this one synagogue. Basically, almost the whole city. Virtually everyone in the city. Now, here's what that means, and here's what we, we need to under, understand about this. One week after Paul had preached in the synagogue... That message we talked about last week. If almost the whole city showed up, who was there? Well, you had the Jews showing up, because that's what they do on the Sabbath. They would go to the synagogue, and I'm sure if any of them had laid out the week before, you know, good Jews didn't really lay out of... uh, you know, of going to the synagogue. But if they had, the week before, they had heard all about it, so they made sure they were there. But not only that, you got a bunch of Gentiles coming. In other words, it is packed out. You've got the Jews, that this is my synagogue, and you've got the Gentiles who had probably never, never set foot in there before. So that's, that's the picture that we have here. What drew them there? What brought them there? Look at the first part of verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, It was necessary that the Word of God be spoken first to you. What brought them there was the Word of God. Verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Now, here's what's amazing about this. And I think it should be striking. Uh, certainly in, in our day, it was then as well. They weren't drawn by gimmicks. They were not drawn by Creativity. They were not uh, drawn by media. They weren't drawn by the children or youths program. They weren't drawn by Sunday school. They were drawn by the flat-out preaching of the Word of God. That's That's what caused almost the whole city to be there. It wasn't wasn't about a building. It wasn't about anything except the pure presentation of the Word of God. And by the way, if you look at his sermon, and I don't know that every word of his sermon was recorded, but if you look at his sermon, it's about as straightforward as you get. I mean, he wasn't into illustrations. (laughs) He didn't, you know, application was pointed, it was at them, it was in their face. And they were saying, please, talk to us again about this next week. James Montgomery Boyce was a pastor in Philadelphia uh, for a number of years. And he wrote this a number of years ago. Um, He's with the Lord now. He never saw the kinds of things that are going on in, in churches today in terms of uh, multiple campuses and live feeds and, uh, you know, that, that type of a thing. Here's what he said a good while back. Much preaching in our day is directed to what we call felt needs, he quoted, and the need for entertainment It is designed to stimulate interest in using the world's methods and devices. It succeeds, at least in the world's way. It draws crowds. Paul and Barnabas did not use any of these devices. I'm aware that there are times when the gospel seems to fall on deaf ears. Sometimes it's possible to do the right thing and not see visible results. There have been people who have preached the Word of God faithfully for long periods of time, and so far as we can tell, there's been minimal response. Yet that's no excuse for abandoning one's true commission. The commission is to take the Word of God into all the world. Here's the thing. I mean, think about some of those on on the mission fields that we're, we're supporting they have faithful ministries. They're preaching the word week after week. Sometimes they just don't see results. Voices saying this look, it's not about the results that determines whether, whether you're doing the right thing. Sometimes you'll do the right thing and you won't see the outward results. And the implication is sometimes you can do that which isn't the right thing, and you can get big old crowds. So don't, we can't judge it by that. That's the, that's the world's way of, of determining, are we doing the right thing? And Boyce said, no, it, it shouldn't be. And he said, look, don't make it about felt needs. And what he means by that is... Um, Everything I think I need, tell me about it and I'll come hear you. He said, our calling is this, to put forth the Word of God and to do that faithfully. He doesn't call us to make God's Word alive. God's Word is alive. He calls us to put it out there. It's His Spirit that enlivens. It's not what we do with the Word of God. Now look at the different reactions we see here. There's a vast contrast between what I'm going to call the unregenerate and the regenerate toward the Word of God. Let me explain what I mean by unregenerate and regenerate. The regenerate are those who have been given a new heart by God. They've been regenerated. That's the theological term. The unregenerate are those that just have a heart of flesh. It's a stone-cold heart when it comes to the things of God. And that's what what we see here. Look at... uh, um, Ephesians 2, well, you don't need to look at Ephesians 2, one, but that's where it talks about those who are spiritually dead. That's the unregenerate. And in this passage, verse uh, 45, it says this, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. See, that's the unregenerate heart. They didn't like what was going on. They said, hey, this is, this is my synagogue. <laughs> what are all you people doing here? And they were jealous. And so they thought, well, we'll fix this. We'll just contradict what he's talking about. That's the rebellion of, of the unregenerate reviling him. They didn't receive the word of God, but they further opposed it. Now, by contrast, Look at someone who's been given a new heart. Verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, remember, they're all hearing the same thing. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. We believe, the Bible teaches, that that regeneration takes place before we express our faith. In other words, God puts a new heart in us. It's what we call being born again. And then we respond in faith. Now, look at this phrase. This phrase that's going to make some of you uncomfortable. But you know what? That's okay. This is the Word of God. (laughs) It says this. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. You know what? That almost makes it sound like it wasn't just how good Paul was preaching at the moment. Doesn't it? That wasn't what it was about. It wasn't about how, how winsome his preaching was. They were all hearing the same thing. But there were absolutely different responses as many as were appointed to eternal life believe. now what that does that phrase it plunges us right smack into a mystery and we might as well just say that and here's the mystery it's the mystery of where god's sovereignty him being all-powerful him being in control of all things where His sovereignty and our response to Him fit in. Because both of those are there in the Scripture. It it says as many as were appointed believed. It doesn't say as many as who were smart enough believed, or those that followed along, you know, the outline believed. (laughs) You know, there was none of that. So it, it shows... God's absolute sovereignty in this, but then it talks about them responding. And both of those are there. The other thing is, uh, you know, if you're a believer, you can spend all your time trying to figure out why was I appointed to believe? You know, you can, you can sit around trying to, trying to figure out Okay, well, what this is saying is that I must have been appointed to believe. Why was I appointed? Or why wasn't so-and-so appointed to believe? You can do that. Or you can say, you know what, I'm not sure I'm going to figure this one out. But I'm sure glad I was appointed to believe. Thank God... Thank you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. I give you the rest of my life. I want to serve you, Lord. That's the response when we come face to face with a mystery. Here's the other thing. Um, You don't, you know, as you're sitting here today, don't bother trying to figure out whether or not you're appointed to believe. You know, in other words, you're saying, you know what, I would really like to believe, but I don't know if I'm appointed. I don't know whether I... Whoa, what if I believe, but I wasn't appointed to believe? I wonder if God would get mad at that, you know? Don't worry about that. If you want to believe, if you believe... You're appointed to believe. And then you can look back and say, oh, okay, I get it. He gave me a new heart. And then I believed. So don't worry about that part of it. He was wise in not letting us know who are appointed. That's his realm. That's his prerogative. He is the potter. We're the clay. We are made to glorify Him. Now look again at the contrast with the unregenerate. Verse 50, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men in the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Um, and by the way, opposition didn't end here. It increased where, where the word of God is faithfully being presented. there will be opposition. When you get closer to the target in you know in in the plane, there will be more flack. That's what's going on here. And so if ever, if ever we face opposition or you face it at work or in school, you're in good company because there will be opposition to the truth. Now look at the disciples' response. This was after the persecution arose. They were driven out of the area. Verse 51. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Here's what's going on. They were doing what they were called to do. They understood that somehow they had grasped it. I am convinced that they understood verse 48, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Because if they didn't understand that, if they thought it was all about how good their presentation was, I think when they had left the city, when they were kicked out of the city, they would have have had their heads down. They would have trudged out of their grieving that they had not done a good enough job. They would have been upset. They would have said, we blew it. And now those people will be condemned. Instead, it says they had joy. The only way they could have joy, it wasn't because... People didn't believe, but they had joy because they had been given the privilege to share the truth of the Word of God. They had sought to do it faithfully, and God had worked in the hearts of those who were appointed to eternal life. They had been used as instruments of God. It says they're filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. By the way, I'm convinced those two go together. In our mission statement, the mission of St. Andrew's is to help people joyfully. That's the umbrella statement. Joyfully know Jesus Christ, love Him more, and serve Him better. I am convinced where the Holy Spirit dwells, there will be joy. There will be joy. I'm not talking about Snoopy kind of joy where everybody's hopping around pretending like everything's fine. There'll be those times. There will be laughter. But sometimes it's that deep abiding joy. Like like Paul in Philippians who was in prison and yet he had joy because he was right where God wanted him to be. And no matter what was going on on the outside, he was right with Christ. And he was okay with that. And it brought him joy. Two applications I want to give us today as we close. One is for the church here, for us. The the big application. We must continue to understand that the best strategy to build the church as faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. That's what this church has always been based on. That's where this church began. We are committed to this. And we must not be lured into lesser strategies. So how are we going to do it? Sunday school classes for all ages that teach the Word of God, that teach the Holy Book front to back, back to front, in the middle and going both ways, teaches the big picture, hones in on individual verses and words, and saturates us with the Word of God. Our worship is steeped in the Word, not just the preaching. That should be obvious as we go through books of the Bible. But all of our worship as it's put together is steeped in the Word of God so that we, we should have that hunger, but so that we're being filled and taught and encouraged our Wednesday night ministries in the Word of God. As we evaluate what we are doing and what we plan for the next year, I want you to be confident that every decision will keep the Word of God as central and foundational. That's who we are. And then for each of us, here's the, here's the second level of application. That's for the church as a whole, but, but for each of us as individuals, we must not take the Bible for granted. I want to read to you what I found as a stunning quote. This is from a, um, an evangelist from India. He said this, While sitting by the bank of a river one day, I picked up a large round stone out of the water and I broke it open. It was completely dry in spite of the fact that it had been immersed in the water for centuries. Broke it open, it's dry inside. He went on to say, There are many in the Western world that have been surrounded by Christianity who've been immersed in the waters of its benefits and yet that gospel has not penetrated their hearts. They do not love it because their hearts have become hardened by the materialism and intellectualism. May that never be you. That because we have it, because it's, we have such easy access, that we take it for granted. There's a Gallup poll that said 65%, and this is of all kinds of people, believe the holy book, the Bible, answers all or most of the basic questions of life. Now, I suspect that if I took a poll in here this morning, I'm not going to do that, but if I took a poll and I said, I want you to tell me whether you believe that the Bible answers all or most of all the most important questions in life, I think it would be way higher than 65%. It may be 90%, maybe 95% of the people that would say, yes, I believe the Bible answers all or most of the basic questions of life. Here's the question, though. Rather than a poll, because that's easy, what if someone observed us as individuals? what if they followed you around somehow and they watched your actions, they looked at what you read, when you read it, they looked at the Bibles you have on your shelf and how much dust might be on some of them. They looked at what you do outside of this place. In other words, not just when you're at Sunday school, not just when you're at church. Would they say... Those people, that person believes that that holy book answers the most important questions. Would they be able to say that? I pray. I pray that they would. I fear that for some, they wouldn't be able to say that by watching us. Here's one final thing. So we we bring it back to the the purpose of the book. C.S. Lewis said this, It is Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true Word of God. The Bible, read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers, will bring us to Him. You see, that's the point. We we aren't here to become bibliolaters, you know, to lift up the Word of God and, and worship the Word of God. But rather to love the Word of God because it takes us to Christ. That's our only hope. May we read it and digest it so that we might be brought closer to Christ. Let's bow together. Easier said than done. It always is. But Lord, you can change us. You can change our wants. Will you cause us to want to know Christ better, and to know that the very best way to do that is to look in your revealed Word in the holy book, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.